Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to, Happy Death Day, directed by Christopher Landon and written by Scott Lobdell, includes descriptions of violence against women, drowning, burning, stabbing, bullying, and fat phobia, and our hosts have ranked this movie as scary. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes, relevant links, and transcripts of each episode. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the episode in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the Groundhog Day of Horror. That's right, it's Happy Death Day. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house and find queer content in all your favorite movies. My co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? We should all aspire to the work ethic of the 10% off with your student ID guy. That man was the legend. 10% off your student ID. Fucking yes. Work that hard and no harder, what, no matter what your job is. Unless it's a surgeon, in which case, probably work harder. Harder, at least, you know. Uh, and we picked her up at the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comic book artist Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I'm wondering if this college needs a graphic designer for their new mascot. Because my alma mater went from the Cossacks to the Sea Wolves, not knowing that Sea Wolves were their own problem. But I don't think, aside from the racism problems, I think that baby is the worst mascot I've ever seen in my life. Wait, what's racist about Sea Wolves? Are they not just like Nazi submarines in the ocean? Oh, I just thought that was just like mean aquatic doggies. That's what the actual mascot is supposed to be. I was just imagining a pack of just Navy SEAL wolves who are just like, fucking, yeah, we're swimming. We're going through the ocean. We are going to hunt some, I don't know, swordfish. They're, yeah, that, that sounds like something aqua wolves would go for. So, yeah, like, I'm down with the, the furry mascot. Like, I'm down with that. It's just unfortunate. I did not Hope know that. Me, but I'm learning something new about Nazi submarines. Aren't you glad you listened to this podcast? In 2022, we all learn something new about Nazis every week, unfortunately. Every day. Yeah. yeah. And our special guest tonight, comics writer and reptile rescuer, Katie Rex. Katie, how are you? I'm great. And I thought I actually had the weirdest high school mascot. We were the ponies. Not kidding. We were the Stillwater ponies. So I'm really glad. To know that not only in the movie world, but also in the real world, you guys have some weird mascots. My high school mascot, we were called the Hilltoppers, and apparently that is a goat. Goats top hills. I don't know. It sounds pretty sexual. It does sound sexual. Yeah, I think I've been hilltopped before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine was just the Warriors, and it was a straight-up racist Native American mascot. Like, it was a very, like regal majestic version of racist native american uh mascot but it was still just like our symbol was an arrowhead like that kind of yeah deal. so more chicago blackhawks less cleveland indians it's good yeah. that there's a spectrum our, spe- our spectrum of professional racist sports mascots yeah <laughs> it, the, the name wasn't actually you know an ethnic slur like the washington football team used to be right yeah oh, i guess they're the commanders now <laughs> Hilltoppers feels like a racist term, but something people from the UK would call other people from the UK. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a derogatory term for a Scottish person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
All right. Uh, the Fighting like Hilltoppers. Like we said, tonight we're talking about Happy Death Day. This movie is uh, directed by Christopher Landon, who uh, you might remember if you've listened to the podcast a bunch, also directed Freaky, uh, which actually came out later than this. It has a very similar, I think, feel to it in a lot of ways. He did not write this one. It is written by Scott Lobdell. Yes, that Scott Lobdell. And I think it's worth mentioning at this point because I think we've done the same thing for other directors. Scott Lobdell uh, is mostly a comic book writer and in recent years has been well known as having had several allegations of abuse, both of a sexual nature and just of a bullying nature towards women in comics. So not great. Who doesn't like that? Yeah, but it is worth noting that this movie feels a lot more like Christopher Landon wrote it than it does Scott Lobdell wrote it. So I'm not sure how many... I, I have heard this movie went through significant rewrites, though, because of Hollywood legally is like he is still the credited writer. My understanding is that it uh, was pretty significantly rewritten from his initial draft. Well, good, because it's not a bad movie. I enjoyed it. No, it's trying to be quite a number of things. And unlike most movies that try to bite off that much, uh, it succeeds at being all of them. It's both a good slasher film and a good uh, time loop film. And frankly, pretty good rom-com. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you, by far the biggest plot twist, and maybe this is because I've been watching a lot of Scream movies lately, is Carter not being the bad guy. Fair. Yeah. I think a bad guy, period. Like, he's yeah, he's genuinely a decent dude, which <laughs> I feel like when you get yeah, introduced that... to a guy like this in a, a movie like this, often he is not. Often, every time... I mean, in real Every life. fucking time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, in Dream, life, ready or not, at least two other movies we've done that I'm not remembering right off the bat. And honestly, yeah. with a couple exceptions, this movie is uh, has a pretty even... Promising young woman. Guys That's three. Katie, you were saying? Oh, just that in real life, he would be kind of a skis, Probably. Oh, yeah. Like the dude that's like, oh, hey, super sexy older woman who is fall down drunk. I'm sleeping in my bed. Yeah, that's a bit of a soft boy move, honestly. It was cool that he didn't take advantage of her yet. But at the same time, like, there's definitely an implied expectation. The only way I can, that it can make sense to me that to not be skeevy, and this is maybe giving him more credit since we don't see any of this, is if she was just so fall down drunk, she couldn't even say like what her address was and no one else was like around to even like know where it was she lived. I think that was the scenario. She knows everybody and she has friends. Like her friends all suck. Yeah. They exist and they do spend time with her. Yeah. I mean, they are absolutely the kind of friends, at least her main ones at the beginning of this movie, the kind of friends who would just let her go home with a guy just because it was funny because he was a yeah. loser. Oh no, I'm assuming all of Tree's friends are just no, I really like the character development Tree has, but man, when she starts this movie, she is just, she hates everybody and everybody hates her. Deservedly. Everybody yeah. should hate her. She is trash. And not trashy, to be clear. This is not a socioeconomic thing. She is a human piece of garbage. Yes. 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 Absolutely. You can uh, be trashy and still be the most kindest, wonderful soul. That is not Tree. Tree is trash. Mm-hmm. The bad person. And IMDB says on this one, A college student must relive the day of her murder over and over again in a loop that will end only when she discovers her killer's identity, which is, yeah, it's a pretty good description of of what happens in this. And it gets pretty wild pretty quickly. If you've seen the movie Groundhog's Day, 
it is very much that, but a murder mystery to the point that, you know, the movie calls that out at one point. Somebody asks her, she is describing what's happening to her and somebody asks her if she has seen Groundhog's Day and she has not. And they, they begin describing it to her. Yeah, it's uh, actually the outro of the film, which I think is the best place that they can have that discussion because otherwise then you're just going to be comparing it scene for scene for the rest of the movie. And of course, the guy is like, you haven't seen Groundhog Day. You haven't seen all these nerd things. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, I used to do that all the time. And now I hate it being like, you haven't seen blank. Look, you it, haven't seen my dinner with Andre. The it, most important small talk, like friends reconnecting over a dinner film of all time. It's hard. It's hard to not have a reaction when somebody hasn't seen something that you love. But I want to reiterate to everybody I know, to everybody I have yet to know, to everybody I don't know. If you haven't seen something. My reaction, and I think the reaction that I want someone to have when I haven't seen something is like full excitement. Like, okay, we have such sights to show you. Um, Wonderful opportunity. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, awesome. Now we get to bond over this and talk about it. And this is why I like being on this podcast. Do you have two hours? All right. Yeah. Get on that. The one innovation this movie adds to the time loop formula, which it kind of really has to, is it does give us a countdown or taking clock type element with the notion that tree's injuries are slowly sticking with her death to death and eventually the time loop will run out and she'll be killed too many times and won't be able to come back which the movie really kind of needs just to have any kind of stakes otherwise there's just no stakes as why she can't just try infinite number of times to just rip the mask off and then next death will be like i know who you are killing you right on the spot well, and they, they did posit that as well, right? They were like, what if you just hopped around every time and just never even tried to find out? What if you just had fun with it? And they had that little montage where she was just like, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I'm going to live today again. I'm never I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to also never die. It's kind of like immortality, but also not. Oh, yeah. We, like, you got to love the time loop. Like, we, I can fuck around, no consequences. But I feel like since it is all... Also, a slasher movie, the movie needed to be like, no, she actually can die. There are actually stakes here. Yeah. Like, before we like jump into the actual plot, I do want to say, I think Jessica Roth, who plays Tree, is fantastic. Like, she, absolutely. Her charisma <laughs> is the only thing that can keep this movie afloat. And it does so amazingly. Like, it's, even when she is horrible in the first you know, few rounds, she is so in an entertaining way. As the movie goes on and she gets better, you really start rooting for her. She's funny. She's interesting. She's, you know, especially in these these later runs when she is having a good time with it. Like, she's really entertaining. Yeah. What it makes takes, the film work. It is not easy playing a character who is as awful a person as Tree while still being an engaging and endearing protagonist. And Jessica Roth really pulls it off. Mm -hmm. The one thing I did want to talk about before we get to the actual movie is there is nothing I love more than a good title card gimmick. And this movie has the like universal logo with the universal music and it starts rotating around and gets to a certain point and then reverses and starts over. That was delightful. Fantastic. As another appreciator of a good title gimmick, that was a good title gimmick. It yeah. already set me off. I was like, uh, uh, oh, 
I think we had one of those fairly recently. I think us was the one where it's reversed when it, when the universal logo comes up the first time. Oh yes. I think that's right. Yeah. So we, we open with our married character tree. She wakes up in a strange bed belonging to this guy, Carter, uh, after having partied too hard the night before. We discovered that this day is her birthday, Monday the 18th. The thing is, she keeps getting murdered and keeps waking back up right here, starting the same day over and over again. She's being killed by a killer in a baby mask who is following her around and killing her through a variety of means. And she keeps starting the day over. Because Creepy Baby is the school's mascot. Yeah. 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 The Creepy Baby mask pops up as sort of a red herring in several other places because it is the mascot of the school. Do they ever say what the team name actually is? Or are they actually just like state university creepy babies? Go fighting creepies. <laughs> I feel like they said it. I feel like they said they were the fighting babies. I think they were. Yeah, there's That's they definitely worse. say it at some point. That's so <laughs> actually you think it'd be something dumb like fucking hilltoppers being goats. It's like, we're the New Yearsies. Like, oh, we got baby New Year's. That's our team mascot. I don't know. My college mascot was the Quakers. That's not very intimidating either. I mean, it depends if you're like, it feels like but we're very playing a joke that we're still paying for 400. However, many years later. Also, if you're like oats. Yeah. Yeah. If you're scary, like oats, that, that's fucking know. scary. And I, um, I went to college with the, uh, the fighting oats. I did not. Okay. No, but I do really like the fighting babies as just like one of the many ways in which this movie is absurdist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely like upsetting in the perfect way for this film. I mean, it might as well be like the fighting slashers. Yeah. Yeah. And the the sort of expression that the baby face always has of this sort of whiz one tooth baby look. It's sort of perfectly dopey and also incredibly creepy in, in this setting. There's a lot of little bits of mechanics, I think, that go towards making this work that I wanted to put at the top. And no one else is experiencing the cycle. It's marked by a series of the same, like, random occurrences and the same dialogue from other characters uh, and actions delivered by other people in her life. Her interactions with these events changes, but the actual events, unless she does something about them, stay pretty much the same. So we're going to make references to, like, the same inconsequential events that happen sort of over and over and over but yeah, just the name of that, the baby face killer. Hey, it's the baby face killer. The ghost face killer, the baby face killer. You need a heel killer eh, to go along with the baby face killer, you know? Jason. Uh, so she wakes up. She's desperate to get back to her house. She makes her way through the quad and we get the same series of like things that happen every morning. We, she gets a call from her dad that she ignores. She leaves Carter's, runs into Carter's roommate who uh, has some dialogue to to drop about her as you know she's coming in, not realizing she's still there. There's a weird swaggering guy in sunglasses who has, never comes back or has any consequence except for this uh, repeated scene here. There's an environmentalist girl who's trying to get her to sign a petition. The sprinklers come on and you know get a whole bunch of people on the quad wet. There's a car alarm. The goth dude. That's the swaggering guy with the sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, because he spears over his sunglasses that like he's fucking Andrew Eldritch. Yeah. He's vampire movie reject. Yeah. He is carrying a portfolio. He's a character playing Johnny Depp playing another character, I feel like. He's co- he's cosplaying Johnny Depp's OC from Lost Boys. <laughs> we also get the the singing frat pledges who have been uh, they've been forced to stand and sing 99 Battles of Fear on the Wall for a long period of time, uh, one of whom collapses. You've got the abusive uh, frat hazing with the pledges just forced to sing for, what was that, 26 hours, did they say? How many hours is it? A lot of hours. I can't remember, but yeah, it was, whew. 
That yeah. one guy just passes out and they give him no medical help. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved it before anything. You weren't you weren't in fraternity sorority. No? Because that's normal. Uh, I mean I didn't pledge anything, but I was, but I that's just because my weed dealer gave me a discount if I pledged the house. <laughs> and I needed a place to stay senior year. You didn't know that was the case because you told that story about how you like set up the intro to the fraternity like as like it was a cult or something. I just wanted the creepy horror room in the basement with like a rusty sword dragged on the ground behind you as you walk through blindfolded. You didn't tell us about that. Oh, uh, yeah, that was part of that. I'm sure Ben did tell us about that. Maybe it was cut out of the show because I yet have immediate like forgetfulness unless it's still (laughs) recorded. Uh, And then she runs into her boy, her not boyfriend, her previous hookup, Tim, and they have uh, always a series of interesting interactions. Tim always beginning of this movie seems a little creepy sort of sets off some alarms early on and then she gets back to her sorority uh you know runs into the same girl sitting on headphones trying to be nice to her outside you know is trying to sneak in and gets caught by her the the head of her sorority and then she rolls into her bedroom and gets the same finally she rolls in from her roommate every time so what in that series of of things that happens every day is is your guys's favorite we've already talked about the goth guy so he had uh, nice sunglasses I look at that guy and I see his entire life. Like I can see, I can read his thoughts. I have been that guy. I know that guy. That guy's picked up on me. Like that's. Like, I mean, I like Dr. I, Manhattan in this moment. You're like seeing you being that guy and seeing that guy hitting on you and seeing. Oh yeah. No, like I see four dimensionally when I look at that guy, like I could see his, his past and his future. And like, if he walks up to me, like I would be able to say the same things that he like, just basically follow along word for word, what he says to me. That guy's past is being the variant baby Billy Joe Armstrong that was killed in Jennifer's body. I was going to say, I was surprised that Carter wasn't a chip in this movie. He was like lovely, not like unchip, like lovely, I don't know how to make it more of an adverb than it already is. It was refreshing. Right. Everything about Carter is too good to be true, but apparently is. I know the movie's over, but I still don't trust that he's not somehow the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a sequel. Is there a sequel? I haven't seen it yet, but there is. Really? Happy There's Death Day to you. And it's in the number two. It's like if Prince wrote the title. Sounds good. Yeah. Like the novelized sequel to the Nickelodeon movie Good Burger, Good Burger to Go. Beautiful. Where they travel to Europe in order to give a man his change back because he didn't bring his change from a burger. So they followed it to Europe. I love that Katie thought it's as if Prince had written the title. And I thought it's as if Olivia Rodrigo has written the title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, About our lives, I think. You guys do need to see the sequel soon because there's a third one coming out. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I've I've wanted to see the sequel since I saw this the first time. It came out right after I saw it the first time. I do want to talk a little bit about Tim because this interaction she has with Tim is both cruel and funny to some extent. Uh, because he is uh, upset that she hasn't called him since they went out, and she points out that he shouldn't expect a call back considering he took her for their first date to Subway, and he doesn't have a foot long. <laughs> Rude. Now, did any? Now, did y'all have like? A first date go-to spot in your college days? I I want to say no. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, we had a coffee shop that had board games on uh, Franklin Street. So, you know, right off of campus, that was usually the, the first place to like go hang out before it became like an official thing, right? I feel like there was a Panera Bread near campus that was like, this is casual enough while not being 
totally trash. This uh, this strikes the nice balance without being too much. Well, not being nothing without being too much. It all garden of breakfasts. Exactly. I think uh, in Menominee, Wisconsin, people really just uh, hung out in frat basement. So yeah, it sounds sounds correct. Especially yeah, considering dirty. the elements. Dirty. It's dirty. It's very dirty always. Oof. It was, it was Wisconsin basements. Yeah, I, no, I would figure either a basement or something involving cheese. You know, they can you can bring cheese into a basement. That's then legal. Then then it is <laughs> in Wisconsin. Man, what a world! Finally legalized cheese in basements. Hell yeah! But not a subway, though. I will say, frat basements probably a step above subway. Maybe definitely a step up above a subway station. Just right. in terms of depth from the street. Yeah, mm-hmm. sea level. I get you. <laughs> Okay, so okay. <laughs> back on track. Rume gives her a cupcake, uh, wishes her happy birthday. She's not supposed to know it's her birthday, but she does. And uh, we find out it's tipped off the rest of the sorority uh, later. She says she's made it from scratch, which instantly struck me as the creepiest fucking thing who makes one cupcake from scratch. This fucking creepy-ass nurse girl, or doc pre-med girl. I mean, she's not, she doesn't start creepy. It is very weird to make one cupcake. Like You didn't have cupcakes or a cake, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or even a mug cake, even a mug cake, if it was in a mug, I would totally accept it. Well, I feel like, okay, can we talk spoilers? Are we talking? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 always. I feel like this movie tried to set up a lot of really subtle clues around the roommate being the killer. And then also just one really big, glaring, obvious clue where she looks the tree straight in the eye and goes, there will be consequences for what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, that was a bit of a tip off. I mean, yes. It was strange. The she's just, the she's the most prominent character who isn't on the list of people I'm going to disprove are the killer. I, I gave the movie a little nod for making that decision because there were so many like very palpable red herrings. At one point, I was convinced that the whole time skip thing was the result of like some weird experiment that the douchey professor was doing. Mm-hmm. Spoilers were already there. There's no explanation for the time skip. At all. It's wonderful. As in Groundhog's Day, there is no explanation for why it's happening. Yeah. What little I know of the sequel is that the sequel explains why the time loop's going on. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I assume it's still like they just unlocked the scientific formula of like Bill Murray's exact level of douchiness that like causes time to skip like a neat, like a record on a needle. It's wait. Did I say Bruce Willis instead of Bill Murray? You said Bill Murray. No. Oh, okay. record on a needle. I don't know how technology <laughs> works. Isn't that how that works? I'm very young. What am I, a machinist? Do I look like Christian Bale? <laughs> I assume that's what that movie's about, just a guy who does machines real good. He works on a lathe, which is kind of like a wax cylinder, which is the progenitor to the vinyl record. So, you know, we got a few steps of separation there. We can make some connections. We're good at that. Way to be accidentally correct-ish. A little bit, yeah. I mean... That's my my signature. Accidentally (laughs) (laughs) correct-ish. The Ben Khan special. You should have that on your website. I'm stumbling... the name of your website? I get sort of close to where I was trying to be. (laughs) Um, So... She, uh, importantly, throws the cupcake in the trash without even tasting it because she's horrible. Uh, she leaves to be late to class uh, where this professor doesn't say anything to her when she comes in late to class. Also, they have a 
house meeting where she participates uh, in some, some fun fat shaming for people eating food. She missed breakfast. Yeah. I want to eat food. Did it's anyone horrible. feel like this professor's deal was like, Carrie Elwes isn't the right age for this role. Get me someone as close to Carrie Elwes when he was right for the role as you can. Right? Yes. That is exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, it's uh, Black Christmas, Carrie Always, but not. It's like Carrie Always is body double from anything. It's like Saw age Carrie Always. Yeah. What's his name? What's his name that um, plays Kristoff uh, in Frozen? Oh. And also King George in Hamilton. Oh, a Jonathan Goff. Yeah. He's a Carrie Always. Yeah, he is a. He's got the Carriola's look, but he's got a way different energy. He's got his own energy. Yeah, right. I mean, it could be applicable. Oh, it could I mean, be. I'm just thinking about King George just spitting in your face every word. Yeah. That that's on that's on me not having a good imagination. Although you will remember that he was also the new Agent Smith in the uh, in the new Matrix when which yes, where the the version of Smith where he's like, why well, yes, I am gay, but I'm still evil. Gay and evil? Those oh, things are not related, but they're both me. <laughs> I know I'm going completely off topic, but I really love the idea of just like an Agent Smith who's come to terms with that he hates Neo, but also really wants to fuck him too. Who doesn't? I really like the new Matrix movie. I haven't And I don't yet. care about any straight person's opinion of it. I mean, that's valid, but I haven't seen it yet. I also really like it. Very good. Okay, well, I Jeremy, you are the it. one straight person whose opinion I care about for Matrix. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you should put that on your website, Jeremy. Yeah. So we know one Tree straight is person. a bad person for all the meanness she's been doing. I can't even fathom, like, the sheer level of intense not giving a fuck about another human being. For someone to be like, I made this for you. And for you to just be like, get Fucked, crush it in my hand. I even get being like, ooh, I don't really want to eat this. So I'll find a way to be like, oh, thanks. I'll eat it on my way out and then toss it aside. Which is like right in front of her, not even breaking eye contact. Be like, fuck you and fuck your cupcake. I mean, I can imagine a very close friend of mine doing that as a joke. But that's a that's like a totally different level of relationship than the, these two characters have. Like this is just... Literally drive her to chase her down and stab her with a knife several times. Yeah, so that's not the inciting incident. That's really just a stumped up. Oh yeah, we're just talking about like aspects of the relationship. Right. It makes it clear that like she had intended to kill her with this cupcake, and when the cupcake doesn't work out, she turns to unleashing a serial killer and herself stabbing this girl because, as as we'll find out here shortly, she is. uh, hooking up with this professor slash doctor she goes to his office in the hospital to hook up with him in the middle of the day her roommate tries to tell her not to do it because it's morally wrong which is the wrong argument for tree which also i don't know be being pre-med so i may be completely off base they're supposed to be undergrad do they let undergrads work in hospitals maybe they do i don't know but she's wearing scrubs and everything that that seems like Medical student stuff. I wore scrubs when I uh, volunteered at a wildlife rehabilitation center and cleaned up duck poop for six hours a day. You can wear scrubs for anything. Fair. Probably like a phlebotomist or something. I don't know what that word means and I refuse to look it up. There's a person that draws blood. I, I'm sure. I learned that against my will. <laughs> I'm sorry. Also, 
I'm increasingly sure that hospitals will not pay anybody to do something that they can. If they cannot pay her to do the intern paperwork stuff or, you know, push people in wheelchairs around the hospital, oh, they will. They'll gladly not pay her to do that. Yeah. They'll gladly do it because she's a hard worker. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're interrupted in their making out by the appearance of the doctor's wife, who then she just cold straight up walks out. It's like, oh, hi, bye to the doctor's wife. And she goes back to her sorority to get ready for this party. Uh, they're supposed to be having a party at one of the fraternities. There's a power outage that's sort of a recurring thing throughout the movie at a certain time before she goes out to this party. And on the way, she finds herself in a pedestrian tunnel where there is a happy birthday music box that has been left that is playing weird, creepy music box music. Um, it's a happy birthday song. It's just yeah, yeah. In down. general, if you're walking down a tunnel and there's just a creepy music box that starts playing on its own, just go another way. Just fucking you fuck right off of that situation, or lean into it and just yeah. start dancing. Find the the closest tarp. Make sure that it's does it smell like urine, and then just wave it around like it's your death cowl, and just dance around that music box, or just like. I don't know, put a bundle of sticks around your head so you look like some creature from Silent Hill. And uh, yeah, you're good. Good to go. I'm not sure you can out crazy crazy. I believe Tree can out crazy crazy. Tree can like just out bitch anything at this point. Although I don't know if she can out bitch Danielle, who has been established to be like, oh my God, the worst. Like her, she's a couple things. This is and, and this is in the uh, trigger warning area. She does a deaf impression. And she talks about how she's like yucked out by the uh, the special needs art fair. So yeah, like she makes Tree look slightly better. Yeah, she makes Tree look like a human being and not just like a monster. Horrible. Like just a like, mean person monster. Also with Danielle, man, uh, we can't forget her favorite hobby, bullying people into having eating disorders. Oh yeah, now she's also the one who like puts the their frets or their sorority sister on blast for having like a milkshake or something because no, no. not even a milkshake chocolate milk no oh yeah chocolate milk. yeah danielle the head of their sorority is the absolute worst she won't do the killing in this case though because uh tree is investigating the music box and someone in a creepy baby mask shows up with a knife what i admire about tree as the protagonist of this story is she always gets one good dot like the first time that the the baby killer tries to stab at her. She uh, at some point manages to duck, dodge, or punch her way out of the first one, even though she ends up getting caught, you know, almost every time. Well, it's very rare to have a slasher movie where someone fails and then still gets multiple attempts. Yeah. I also feel like for somebody who appears to be like four feet tall, she has so much fight in her. I feel like if somebody came up with a knife, I would just die. Just save him the trouble. Be like, hold on, hold on. I, I got this. Yeah, just, I feel like you just fall over. <laughs> I feel like by the time Tree is two drinks into a night, she is ready for like the high heels and earrings to come off and like rings to get thrown. And she starts the night two drinks in. I'm not sure she's taking those heels off. That's what I'm saying. Like, mm. she can walk on turf she's and using heels. Stilettos. Yeah, like if she could walk on turf and heels, then she's got like some sort of superpower. I know a lot of women could do that. And they all have superpowers and they are still special. I am not one of them. I cannot, I like if I get in heels, I feel like I'm a velociraptor and I should move like one. And I definitely can't walk on 
turf, like on soil. Because then I'd just be like, all right, well, I live here now because I am rooted to the ground. I just feel glamorous and heels. Like, you know what? Anybody with heels has that. They can pull those off. I'm sorry I've limited to women because there's women in this movie were doing such a great job. And I was like, wow. As someone who is expected to be able to walk in heels, I can't. I used to be able to. It's so long. I could walk a Doc Martens. I could walk a Doc Martens a lot. Anyway. Quite an accomplishment. Uh, so, yeah, she she dodges the first one, tries to run away, gets caught up at the pass by the murderer, uh, and gets stabbed to death and wakes up in Carter's bed again, exactly where she started. They go through the hole, running into the rigmarole. Yeah, the That's roommate. That's you're looking for. All rigmarole. <laughs> all the stuff in the, the quad is happening again, but it's slightly creepy this time because it's all happening exactly the same way. Yeah. Tree is reacting exactly the way you'd expect someone to react at the beginning of Act 2 of a time loop movie. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the process is pretty great. Once we get into the pattern, it's so fun just watching this ebb and flow of her stages of grief, um, which is a lot of what, you know, whenever I see the time of like Groundhog Day had a bit of that. All of the, the dynamics with the various characters, it never really got tired for me. It was still funny and fresh and like her, the way she reacted each time. And they still managed to get fresh humor out of each round. And basically everything unfolds the same way. She reacts more or less the same way, but a little scared all the way up to getting to the tunnel and seeing the music box and deciding to nope the fuck out. You know, she goes to the party a different way. And this time she makes it to the party. It turns out it's a surprise party for her birthday. And she then proceeds to hook up with Danielle's boyfriend. Is he her boyfriend? I think he's just the guy she's into. I think she's, yeah, he's the guy that she's into. Okay. It is, it is implied that they have dibs, if not something currently going on, but he, he will not live long because in this scenario, he gets murdered first. She doesn't even realize it's going on until it's, uh, it's too late because of the incredible setup of his room. The pleasure Uh, dome. Yes. <laughs> veritable quagmire. I love the guy who walks in and is just a feeded expression and then walks right back out. Like just that guy was just big oof. There were a lot of big oofs. A murder is happening and he is just like, uh, yeah, this is some pleasure dumb stuff. Bye. The kids are holding a rave in here. I've lived in a fraternity long enough to leave this room. Yeah. I need to put a sock on the door. Yeah, he he gets killed, and then she, uh, after making a couple of good dodges, takes a broken bong to the face this time. It's a real <laughs> a nasty college way to die. die. And they say weed never kills anyone. <laughs> I mean, some of them do. Put that in your drug PSA and smoke it. Don't smoke. Smoke a drug PSA. <laughs> you wouldn't smoke a drug PSA. <laughs> You yeah, I'm like I was gonna say. Well, I didn't say it was a good drug PSA. But I'm like, what is a good drug PSA? The Ninja Turtles told me not to smoke pot. Did it work? Uh, well, I didn't for a while, but I was also in third grade. Yeah. The sheer gall of them trying to claim that Michelangelo says no to pot. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, fuck out of here. <laughs> so she wakes up in in Carter's bed again. This time, uh, she tries to explain to her roommate what's happening. And decides that she'll actually stay in and survive that way. So she's not going to go to the party. So she won't get killed. Uh, But wouldn't you know it, the killer ends up in her room and she's trapped in with him because she's pushed the dresser in front of the door. And she gets stabbed again. 
Finally, the fourth time she wakes up in Carter's bed and explain, tries to explain to Carter what's going on. And Carter, being a good boy who's watched a lot of movies, is like, oh, no, we can figure this out. We can work this out. He offers to help her. They decide that the key is to find out who is trying to kill her. But the, rest, the list is ridiculously long because Tree's a horrible person. Yes. <laughs> the part where she starts explaining all the people who might be trying to kill her, and it includes, like, her barista at Starbucks and all of these other people who probably have good reason to try and kill her so carter is someone who suggests she starts using her lives to work her way through the possible killers this movie is legitimately funny yes like this is a solid comedy where it could be done in this movie like the futility of tree trying to make an enemies list yeah it's basically everybody who's breathing It's on Tree's enemy list. We eliminate our first suspect because Tree doesn't know about bi people and just sees the guy she went on a date with watching gay porn and is like, well, he's not into ladies. Sexual orientation is entirely binary. Nothing to see here. He can't be the killer. He's gay. I had a lot of problems with that. Yeah. You know that every closeted gay person also is just waiting for some sorority chick to tell him it's okay. And then he's just going to come out and it's going to be fine. One thing I well, appreciate about her reaction to that is her seeing him watching the gay porn and going, nice. I thought it was less of a nice and more of like, a, oh, thought she was excited about the porno. Okay. Like, nice. That's a good porno. Notoriously, the gays love taking dates to Subway. That's, that's how you should explain it. Uh, something, something foot long joke. Blah. She did make the foot long joke. Um, and that dude looks like he does have a foot long, honestly, but you know. Is probably. he a Jonas? He looks like a Jonas. A Jonas? Yeah. I thought he was a Jonas. Is he a Jonas? The is Tim. I don't believe so. Okay. I also it might be a secret Jonas. I hear they're just out there. Like there's the three they tell you about, but you know, that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Caleb Spilliards. That's a good name though. Not a Jonas. I had been assuming this entire time. So. He doesn't seem as a stunt man, mostly. So he does stunts for Into the Badlands and The Last Ship and Hawkeye. I appreciate that it's not the same depth, that she's just not getting stabbed each time, that we have like her getting blown up in a car. We have her getting drowned, like, you know, the one time she hangs herself in it. Like, I like that it's different deaths things you can only say as a horror movie fan but you know what it's true what they say variety is the spice of life or death or death variety is the spice of death (laughs) when you have to do it constantly now i'm gonna just take a jump forward here because we have all of these these sections of the film we have the investigation section and you know again stages of grief bargaining i guess maybe for this and then uh you know because we have denial we have a stage of grief yeah the looney tune bargaining because you know that's it can be there i do appreciate that in in these kills in the middle how she wakes up depends on how she get killed like when she gets drowned she wakes up you know vomiting water on carter's floor (laughs) yeah so i think that's really important just because it shows and sells this like oh each death loop is not a total reset things are getting carried over there is a finite number of times she can do this yeah which is is really delivered on in the last kill in the section where she dies by taking a bat to the head and when she wakes up she starts to get up to go through the whole thing again and passes out and uh carter has to take her to the hospital find out what's going on and we learn via the you know same doctor she's sleeping with that uh she 
has all of this scar tissue accumulating from all of these ways that she's died. Obviously, the doctor doesn't know why all this is, but he says, you know, these injuries that she seems to have the scar tissue on from should be fatal, but somehow she's still alive. Yeah. So we have, we have did the this time warp again. <laughs> she jumps to the left. And then there's a point where she starts doing the Groundhog Day thing where she starts trying to become a better person. There's a couple points where she's like so done. Where like she goes out naked and just accepts that she's going to die because she she realizes that she still can't find the killer. She wakes up in the hospital after having passed out. And despite the fact that she is not in her room, she's not going to the party. She's not doing all these normal things she would be. She still gets chased down in the hospital. And this is also one of the cases where we see that there is a security guard guarding somebody in the hospital. You know, he's there earlier in the movie, but they do, they do the best to really draw attention to it here. We get some of that good foreshadowing. Yeah, we're starting to, and that's the nice thing about the repeats is that there's nice little nuggets of foreshadowing here and there. Did anyone else think for parts of it or unsure if they were implying at times that a serial killer that was in the hospital killed Tree's mom? That's what I thought. Yeah. They never said it, but I totally thought that the whole time. Okay. I didn't even think, I didn't actually. I was too busy like math memeing about something else at that point, I think. (laughs) I would say how Tree's mom died. And when she sees the killer on the news, she has a big reaction to it, an outsized reaction to seeing that this killer has escaped. And it comes right after the scene in the diner where we learn that her mom has died and that we learn why her dad is trying to get up with her is that this birthday is both hers and her mom's. And that's why her dad is calling her and why she is avoiding it because she doesn't want to think about her birthday because it makes her think about her mom. And she is avoiding being depressed by compartmentalizing this. Yeah. And I think that all comes after this death at the hospital because she she's in the hospital and the, the doctor tries to convince her that she needs to stay so that she can be observed. She knows if she does that, she's going to die. And she is attempting to sneak out of the hospital. We get sort of the red herring of maybe her doc, maybe her boyfriend doctor is the killer because he has a baby mask but then he is shortly thereafter murdered and that same bit she escapes the hospital by stealing his car and the uh the guy the killer gives chase all the way to the parking deck and then she escapes and gets pulled over by a cop and uh is trying to convince this cop to take her to jail when the killer shows up runs over the cop and does enough damage to her car that it begins leaking gasoline and then the killer uh, lights the gasoline and blows up the car by using a birthday candle. So I think it's maybe I, the most blatant foreshadowing of who the killer actually is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do love Tree with the cop being like, wait, so you'll just arrest me? Like, lock me up in a cell? Oh, I'm drunk. I'm the drunkest, most high you've ever met. I did. <laughs> I, I just did all, all the drugs. Like, did them all. I'm on everything. Oh, that's definitely one of the most intense steps. I think one of the things that And I think the movie didn't have a choice about it because of the whole nature of the time loop. In one of the loops, Treat gives herself this awesome fucking pink hair dye look. And it looks amazing. Oh, yeah. We get in the movie for like a minute because then she dies immediately after. And then she doesn't like spend two hours re-dyeing her hair every loop. Well, she like does it for like a for camouflage. She does it during the fucking around montage. Okay. I thought it was just for fun. I think she just also then later coincidentally camouflaged herself. I didn't think those were related. Well, she dressed up in like a weird camouflage in order to stalk the party and see who was trying to kill her at some point. I thought that that was also like where she had dyed her hair 
But I don't know. It all kind of blends together at a certain point. I just think it was a really cool style and I wish it'd been in the movie for longer. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a question about this hospital. One, is it on the same grounds as the college? I assume so, right? Yep. I think so. Does it have a bell tower? It presumably, it, it has a bell tower, which has been shut down and needs to be renovated. Because that okay. will come up in, I think, the next round after she learns that this guy is the killer. She's going to go try and, and murder him. And they will end up in the bell tower where, in this case, Carter, who is trying to help her, gets killed by the serial killer who has been set loose at the hospital, who she thinks is responsible for her murder. It's kind of true. It's the best red herring, a partially true red herring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does fit into the plan, as we find out later. Yeah, he does kill her at least once in in this story. We will find out later that he is set free by the roommate, who is the one who's really trying to kill her. She just happens to be a convenient target for this guy who likes to kill people. Yeah, the movie did do an effective job, I thought, of making me go like, oh, maybe he is the killer. I feel like this is adding up time-wise. Bit of a disappointment. I I had in my notes, oh, I wish it had been Lori as the killer instead. <laughs> Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Was it your birthday when you wished that? Oh, man. But no, but I did wish upon a star. And then a fucking cricket showed up and started guilting me about stuff. So judgy, that cricket. I think I've met that cricket. Uh, judgy, judgy cricket. Yeah. Not letting it go run away to carnivals or I don't know. I don't know what else the hell else happens in Pinocchio. It has been at least 20 years since I've seen that movie. He becomes a literal jackass. There's racism. There's there is definitely several racisms. So he becomes a racist jackass and he's still not sure if he's a real boy. Um, yeah. uh, not a boy, but he is a Republican. Um, let's get back to happy death day. <laughs> yes, yeah, this round she gets Carter to help her out. Carter gets killed trying to stop Tombs, the serial killer. So she decides, even though she has the upper hand and could kill Tombs at this point, and she thinks in the whole thing, that she's going to kill herself and do it all again so that Carter can survive. She hangs herself in the clock yeah, she, tower. She has had all this development with Carter that Carter has no memory or knowledge of. She, yeah. The development's pretty much just been tree going, I am as dubious about you as the audience is, and then just slowly going like, oh, you are genuine as you seem. Like, oh my God, that line when she, part of the time loop is Danielle being like, were you out with a boy last night? And Tree being like, yeah, I'm not telling you stuff. And then the one loop where she comes in is like, his name is Carter. And if I survive this day, I'm going to have his babies. <laughs> yeah, that's that's this loop because she, she comes back, wakes back up in Carter's bed. She knows what she needs to do. She knows what's going to happen. So this time she decides that she's going to do everything right and make the world better. She encourages the environmentalist girl. She steals the sunglasses from the goth guy. She warns people about the sprinklers. She puts a pillow under the pledge's head so that he doesn't, you know, hurt himself when he falls down. Not not stopping all that harassing, but, you know. <laughs> it's a very nice, sweet moment. And it's earned. Like, Tree has gone through a lot of character development at this point. And it's really satisfying seeing her do this. But also, this isn't the last loop, and she doesn't do any of these nice things on the actual last loop. Yeah, the last loop, she is just very myopic about like, okay, I got to take care of this situation, got to take care of the, the serial killer guy, got to assault an officer, all this kind of well, stuff. 
the last lip, she's very drunk. She's like, what the fuck? I did everything right. I survived. Why is it still happening? And so she's all disoriented. And as a result, the real tragedy, Tim is still in the closet because he didn't get encouragement from a straight lady to be himself. I can't figure it out. She tells Tim on this round that she knows he's gay and he should embrace it and go out and get himself some man ass. She. Oh, yes. This is on the second to last good loop still. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead to the end. Bobby. So, so importantly, though, she like figures out her whole thing with her dad she talks to him she like resolves all of her family conflict and drama it's this really important cathartic like just it's it's so crucial i can't believe that they didn't ever do it again they do kind of cover their bases on that which is like at the end they have like the dad call her and she's like oh no i'm i'm fine like because he heard about you know this stuff on the news and she's like, we should, you know, meet up and talk about this stuff. But yeah, that all presumably happens movie. after the movie. Yeah, she's like, hey, Dad, I know it's my birthday and diner, but I just threw a lady out a window. Yeah. So, or no, like, she kicks that out of the window, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah she kicked this girl out the window because, yeah, so she'll go to the hospital and face tombs. She gets thrown around, but she does finally kill him. She goes back yeah. to her room to celebrate with Carter and finally eats the cupcake. And it's not until she eats the cupcake that she figures out who the killer is. Because as part of her redemption day, she eats the cupcake and she saves it for the last thing of the day and celebrates her birthday with Carter like it's fucking 16 candles. But there's only one candle because it's a cupcake. At which point she goes to bed and then wakes up again in Carter's bed and starting the whole thing over again. She's frantic and angry uh, and she can tell she's getting weaker she can't escape this thing, and she's really freaking out. And she goes back to her room where she runs into her roommate. Her roommate is, like, weirded out by how weird she's being. But then she figures it out. that The last thing she did on this night in question was that she ate the cupcake, and then she died in her sleep because the cupcake is poisoned because the roommate is the real killer that's been trying to kill yep. her since the beginning. Because, not just because she's an awful person and a terrible roommate, but specifically because... She is sleeping with the doctor who her roommate wants to be sleeping with. And it, it's all about her dude, which Tree finds incredibly disappointing. Importantly, part of the reason why Tree is able to figure out, this is the first time in all of the loops uh, during her little 16 candles moment with Carter that mm-hmm. she actually ate the cupcake. And in every single, in every single time loop before this, she throws the cupcake away in front of Lori. Or, well, or forgets it. Or forgets like, yeah. Or just yeah. doesn't pay, yeah. So that's part of how it is, is that she's never eaten it before until that 16 candles loop. Yeah. Oh, man. And so Lori is telling her that, you know, she's crazy. None of this happened. So she tells Lori, if that's the case, that she should go ahead and eat it. At which point Lori confesses and attempts to kill her anyway as they, you know, kick and fight. And then finally, uh, Tree kicks her out the window and, and where she lands on the pavement in front of the this poor girl with the headphones who has never done oh, yeah. anybody. But well, let's not undersell it. Tree shoves the poison cupcake into Lori's mouth. And then and then while Lori's panicking, fucking kicks her out the window. It was epic. It was an epic moment. Yeah, the, it, anything with a window, someone diving out a window. It's really cathartic and satisfying. And Tree at this Act 3 stage is a really fun protagonist because, like, she's 
had her character arc and her emotional journey, but she still has all of like the take no shit, like willing to throw down qualities that made her endearing and fun to follow when she still was a bad person. Now she's a bad person with nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a better person with nothing to lose. Yeah. So she then gets to go have lunch with Carter and explain everything that's happened. She reschedules her, you know, lunch with her dad so that she can reconnect with him and solve all this family trauma. And they do have a fake out ending here where she wakes up in Carter's room and he pretends that she's back in the loop. And that's who fucks up. That is Carter. Carter. Fucked up. I mean, I know he wasn't there for all of that, but still, come on. Like, that's how I know that Carter isn't like the perfect dude. And she is definitely not going to have all of his babies. That's the little that's that little ray of reality, as Katie was talking about. <laughs> the dude is not everything that he's uh, set up to be. Although, you know, I hope that they have a good time for just a little bit. I haven't seen the sequel, but I hope that he's the best thing for her at that moment. She does go through a lot. And the fact that we didn't end on the redemption arc, I thought was actually a good move. I thought it was a bold move for the movie. And I think that does establish that she is capable of all of those things now that she has learned a lesson. And it also, it's not as simple as like a one day fix where you're like going around and, you know, signing petitions and being cool one day. Like you, these, these are damages that she's going to have to work on for a while. And it's, again, it's not as simple as a single turning point. Uh, it's going to be decent every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so does your partner, Carter. I don't know. This is the end of the movie. Everything is good. It, it fades out with them talking about the movie Groundhog Day. Did any of you guys watch the, there's a alternate ending? No. Um, no. I, I'm sorry. What? So there's an alternate ending uh, that they, they cut, thankfully. Uh, where she uh, has just been through this fight and she's in the hospital getting checked out and um, the nurse is giving her an IV and she's like, oh no, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need a, I don't need an IV. I'm okay. And uh, then it's revealed that the woman putting in the IV is actually the doctor's wife who is poisoning her and murdering her again. Lame. <laughs> yeah, that's, this is a kind of movie that needs like some kind of happy ending. It doesn't have to be like super ideal, but come on. Yeah, I, I, I can see why that might have tested not great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I think of the two endings, they went with the right one. Oh, absolutely. I like knowing that this other one exists, though. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They did, they did set up the idea that Tree deserves to be murdered. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I, the wife, she needs to move on. Yeah. <laughs> she can't. She, she shouldn't fall to this level. I just... Just throw the whole ass man away. Yeah. Uh, guys, do we think we think Happy Death Day is feminist? It tries. It is definitely like it has some problems, but I think all in all, yes, I think it's in a, a step in the feminist direction. I think it's definitely aware of and responsive to feminism. Yes. Yes. Like the movie seems very aware of it almost. Like it really helps to just like, I love it just, I'm struggling a little bit because I don't feel like the movie is particularly feminist and it definitely does have that like women hit it against each other over both of them sleeping with a married man. But Tree is just such an uh, interesting and fun, well-rounded three-dimensional protagonist. You know, like definitely one of the stronger horror protagonists we've seen in recent days. She's definitely a disaster, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, this is not your... The virgin is the final girl. Like, it's very nice seeing our 
Survivor being an absolute chaotic trash bag. And she's strong while being shitty. Yes. 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 Yeah, I, I really appreciate that Tree specifically in this movie is given the sort of character arc that, you know, as with Groundhog Day is often reserved for male characters of being a bad person who gets better, being a Sherlock who, you know, so, so often female characters are sort of locked in one sort of idea of who they are. And if they make a change, it is often directly in response to a male character and a relationship, which the relationship is, I think, very secondary to this story. And I do appreciate as much as there is sort of this thing of her, the actual murders being because of a two people fighting over a man, the tree is so disappointed in that. She's so into this idea of a serial killer murdering her um, because, you know, he's been set loose and he's chasing her down on her birthday. However, that works, uh, whether or not it's supposed to have something to do with her mother, which, you know, I had the same thought was Katie on that one, but that like, she's so much more interested in that story than what turns out to be the real story. Because when it is revealed, she goes, wait, you're been killing me over a man? Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. She's disappointed in the motive. Yes. Which is a really fun element. That That's a really good point, which is also a, a, a step forward in terms of feminism with the movie is that, that there's that self-awareness that like Alison Bechdel is watching. Yeah, I really like both the actress and Tree as a character, I think it really carries the movie so much because every other character is so very secondary in the story. And and she is just running the show. And she's so she's so entertaining and so charismatic, even when she's just awful. It's really a joy to watch. And I, I do wonder how much of that comes from the actress, how much of it comes from the director, how much of it is in that original script. I, I do think that uh, it definitely has some strong feminist elements, whether or not like we categorize that awareness of it as being feminist or whether we see it as sort of having its cake and eating it too. But I, I think that's really strong. Somewhere where I don't think it's quite as strong is on the sort of racial justice stand. There's not much in the way of non-white characters in this movie. Uh, there's the girl they fat shamed. So yeah. that's nice. Yep, there's the girl that gets fat shamed. There's Carter's roommate who just gets to repeat one uh, creepy sexist line over and over again. I can't and, believe you've actually made it this far into the thing without any of us saying fine vagina. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying not <laughs> to. Phrase, fine vagina. Foin vagina, maybe? Foin vagina. I actually kind of like that. Yeah. Like, I I mean, I can do Foin Vajoin because that sounds like the title of a Lonely Island song. Yeah, I would be happy to describe myself that way. <laughs> I would I mean, could it not ever be about me? But it's Look, funny. I just want to know, is this vanity plate still available at this cafe? <laughs> yes. There is a controversy right now going on in this fine country, in this fine vagina country. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. There's a lot I'm of... Not, I'm not sure how... That. that was a phrasing that a lot of I'm getting a lot of very incredulous looks about that. And um, I will accept that as an acceptable response to the, this thing that I just said. But there is a controversy about plates, uh, license plates, vanity plates, so to speak, with adult content. So hopefully maybe we can make some real progress in this country. And is this about the lady who wants her vanity plate to be fart? Yes. Let her drive as fart. Yeah, I mean, Seinfeld had the ass man. Do you guys, right. Do you remember the, uh, this is awful. Um, there was a Carlos Mencia, I think, bit 
No, I don't remember that because I don't ever I haven't ever seen any of his stuff. Worried I'll have remembered it and that dub won't reflect well on me. I don't know how I remember this, but I don't recall being a consumer of, of him. But I feel like didn't he and now watch is gonna be some other comedian and I don't remember who, but I feel like he called several DMVs and asked if he could get racial slurs as license plates. And they uniformly said no until he found certain racial slurs for Latin people. And then they uniformly said yes. Oh, wow. That's... Did I make this up in my head? I don't think I did. I wish I could remember. I saw, I saw it once. It does appear to be uh, a sketch from Mind of Mencia. Didn't I, I didn't know we were going to talk about Carlos Mencia today. Uh, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> Sorry. So let's stick with fine vagina and and not re- racial epithets. Yeah. My only thought was, uh, Emily, the this country currently the vagina is not fine. I just yeah, that's <laughs> where I was coming from. Yeah, like I'm no. not sure I describe our national vagina as fine. The vagina I, is in danger. Yes, yeah, I know, but like for all those fine vaginas in this country, I salute you. Yeah, I'm just gonna say that in this country and out of it, especially. Um, mm. Of the free, we're all saluting now. Alicia, can you drop in some like music? Is it actually who could possibly own? Who would we pay? Do we just like give America a tax? Like, do, is there a national anthem tax? I assume it's public domain. I assume everything else is fucking capitalist. I can't imagine using the national anthem in a podcast without using Fergie's version of it. So no, I okay. guess we pay Fergie. Let's play some yeah. <laughs> Can we just make my humps the national anthem? Wow. I read what the Humpty Dan. The, the silence <laughs> after that suggestion was deafening <laughs> to the you audiences at home. <laughs> For the record. My, my, the panel here, not into these black eyed peas uh, replacing the national anthem idea. Between Mind of Mencia and Black Eyed Peas, the podcast for all you, for all you properly cultured folks out there with <laughs> fine taste. Yes. I feel like we might be dating ourselves a little bit. Oh, I think oh, every man. day. Good. I take Who's myself ready for some mid 2000s trash. <laughs> for me, it's 90s. Bring it. Let's talk about sex, baby. See, that's 90s. <laughs> I straight up just salt and pepper at you. All right. The way that you delivered it is really the what makes it special. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to need that as like a ringtone. I think we just all here that we were here for that moment. Yeah. Baby. I wish I, wish I was in a time loop so I could experience it again and again. <laughs> it's as if she was delivering... Salt and Pepper's classic uh, line, as, as if you were a mafia hitman in a, <laughs> you know, a stereotypical eighties movie. Talk That's about my brand, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> Let's. Talk. What a man! What a man! What a man! I'll do it as Christopher Walken. Whenever they need the next, whenever they need the next Barney Rubble on the Flintstones, like, <laughs> I know who to suggest for the auditions. Oh my God, though, talk like Tex Fred. Hey. So- <laughs> what do we think about the lgbt content in this movie not good not great i mean a good transition though that was a great transition yeah yeah props this movie uh doesn't know bi people exist barney rubble's bi though right we know that yes yeah okay yeah i don't mean 
I think that this movie does in some ways fall into the same kind of trap that Freaky does to some extent, which is Christopher Landon, loud and proud gay director, I think aims for camp when talking about gay stuff a lot in a way that like doesn't land in this at all when they're talking about the character of Tim being gay in a way that does totally exclude bi people. And does a disservice to gay people, frankly. Yeah. 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 It's weirdly not great for somebody for whom that is sort of right in, in his wheelhouse. All right. I don't think there's a lot to say here about class. I mean, it's everybody is of a certain class. There's not really much discussion about it in this movie. These characters in the sorority are pretty involved with class and projecting that image of class. So there is some very like finite or like granular class divisions. And the fact that they are depicted in that way does also, I think, says what it says about class, which is these are basic bitches. Yeah, I, I think it really comes through with like Danielle, especially with like the crass cynicism when she, they're like when she's trying to figure out like where to do their charity event for. There's definitely a under I'm not sure how much of an undercurrent is versus or just a current of elitism with this sorority that is mostly under I think undersold by the fact that we don't see anyone that they would be acting elitist towards. So they just are, but like, there's definitely a sense that they are elitist, but we don't really see it in practice outside of just Danielle just being the meanest to everybody. Yeah, just the passing comments that they have. And, you know, speaking of Danielle, the ableism there is like depicted as monstrous. It's beautiful that they, you know, it's beautiful that they do that. Yeah. They're okay. Only a shitty person acts like this. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely do a good job just showing like, just how vapid and cynical and mean like these supposedly elite institutions can be yeah and i think that's basically as much as it touches on any sort of disability as well in that she is awful about people with disabilities and causing people more mental trauma by you know fat shaming and just being generally horrible to people but it doesn't doesn't really engage in that too deeply other than to be like, look, it's a shitty person doing shitty things. Don't be shitty. Yeah. So that that wraps up our points here. Generally, would we uh, say this is worth seeing? Should people check it out? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. This is a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, this is a very fun movie. If you're a fan of slashers, this is a very worthy addition to the genre. If you like movies that are good and fun, I would say you should watch this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'd say put it back to back with Freaky because both those movies have same director, very similar vibes, and they're both very funny and very good. Now, uh, beyond that, uh, do we have anything we would recommend people check out? Do we have anything uh, we want to point people toward, either related to this or not? Most definitely. You like movies with death, movies with mystery, movies about birthdays go see knives out yeah good one it's a very good film it's a very good film it's got birthday murder mystery all the things aside from the time loop but you get chris evans in a sweater and jamie lee curtis is in that film yes oh killer cast daniel yeah. greg michael shannon anna de armas just like just knockout after knockout it's a really nice sweater yeah. oh it's a great sweater and he looks and he rocks it so good Absolutely. Uh, Emily, did you have anything? 
Uh, well, if you like stories with a trash woman, uh, that is to say a woman who is, whose personality is trash, going on a, a journey of redemption, just watch The Good Place. It's good. It's great. This movie reminded me a lot of The Good Place, especially with the tree and her just where she starts. And definite Eleanor vibes. Yeah, definitely Eleanor. You know, this is, of course, there is a there are some repeating elements, some patterns, certainly in the show. But uh, all in all, I've watched all of it. You will cry at the end. It is uh, a lot of fun. So check that out. It's another wonderful, fun thing. And, you know, heavy at times, but stays a beat. Mm-hmm. Katie, did you have any recommendations for people? I want to stay plugging the sequel. It was pretty good. I will say it is slightly less good than the first one, but only slightly. That's good to know, though, because it often you know. happens with sequels. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes they're a real big bummer, and this was not a real big bummer. Awesome. It's still very fun. Yeah. Perfect. What I want to recommend, because it's I, I won't go as far as to say that this movie is good. It is written by Christopher Landon. Christopher Landon started off writing and moved on to writing and directing. But one of his first feature-length movies that he directed, or that he wrote, is a, a movie called Blood and Chocolate, which is a uh, werewolf movie and has all of the like amazing quality that you would expect from... I'm just going to... I'm just going to read IMDb's storyline of this here that they have. In Bucharest, Romania, the orphan Vivian was raised by her aunt after losing her parents 10 years ago in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. Her family belongs to a bloodline of werewolves, and Vivian has promised to the leader of the pack, Gabriel. When the American cartoonist Aiden, who is researching werewolves for his publisher for the next edition of his magazine, meets Vivian, they immediately fall in love with each other. However, the evil son of Gabriel and Vivian's cousin, Wraith, poisons Gabriel about about the love of Vivian, forcing her to choose between her bonds with her, her bonds with her family and her passion for Aiden. Doesn't if this work already sold? Aiden is played by Hugh Dancy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I was there. trying to uh express because I remember seeing like baby Hugh Dancy and oh Yeah, it's a heck of a thing. It is exactly as good as that sounds like it would be. So it is it is entertaining and, and worth the watch. I will not, again, go as far as but it is good, but it is fun. So definitely that's worth your time to check out. Now, before we wrap up, Katie, can you let everybody know where they can find out more about you and your work online? Yeah, uh, I'm mostly on Twitter these days at the Katie Rex. That's K-A-T-Y Rex, like the dinosaur. Nice. Awesome. And of course, for the rest of us, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con uh, and their website at bencomics.com where you can pick up all of their books, including the brand new Immortals Phoenix Rising graphic novel from Great Beginnings and the Glad Award nominated Renegade Rule graphic novel. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. That's J R O M E 58. And my website is jeremywhitley.com where you can check out everything I write. And of course, the podcast itself is on Patreon. We would love it if you backed us there, but also you can just check us out at Progressively Horrified. Dot transistor.fm and talk to us on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod. We would love to hear from you. Uh, and speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love if you could review us and rate us anywhere that you listen to this podcast right now. Five stars on that review helps us find more listeners and get to more ears. So thank you very much for listening. And thank you so much to Katie for joining us. Thank you. This was really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for coming on this movie. I love this one. 
Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you as always, Ben and Emily, for joining me. And again, thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy, Ben, and Emily, along with special guest Katie Rex. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Maria Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or by email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.